attention today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. We don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and we got KU action coming at you tonight after the show on our airwaves. Pre-game is going to start at 6.30, tip-off at 8 o'clock for Kansas and Seton Hall. Certainly a little bit more to, to learn from this game than there was in the Texas Southern game on Monday night with a Power 5 opponent, one that I'm sure has NCAA tournament uh, hopes and dreams so far off to a four. You would three consider start. the Big East Power Five. Uh, I guess I should re say that in basketball they say that I I always I hate that they're different. In in football we say the Power Five. In basketball it's the Big <laughs> Six is how we determine them. Oh, uh, big the, six? the Big East is part of that. That's lame. Yeah. Well, that's just whatever powers it be. I don't know what like what panel or committee decided. Well, to, I think we should form a committee and rename it to something else. I think we should get to, yeah, let's, let's have our own committee. And we get to pick. So in, in football, I want it to just be the power three, the power three. Yeah. Let's do so, sec, big 10 and then big 12 since we're here. Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, okay. Sure. You could argue ACC and, but I don't want to. And then for basketball, let's just say the big one, it's just the big 12. Like let's, <laughs> let's be selfish here. Well, the big know? 12 might suck is the problem. Well, you don't have to, you know, we 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 can we can fib it a little bit, <laughs> but I guess since we're the committee, doesn't really matter, right? That's what I'm saying. We're so the we, committee. Just do we can do whatever we want. We want. No, 100. Yes. What benefits us? We're like, like FIFA. Totally agree. Yeah. Yes. By the way, great day of soccer um, today in the World Cup. If you care, maybe you yeah. do. Maybe you don't. There was a. I mean, okay. I I like the drama, but what I don't like is that I have to try to keep track of. Goal difference and <laughs> who got more yellow yeah. cards than who and all this other crap. Like it should just be I don't know. It shouldn't be that hard. No, I. There are a lot of weird. My favorite was yesterday. We had the uh, oh gosh, who was it? There was like a tiebreaker between Poland, Poland and Mexico. And, yeah, but it was yellow cards. Yes. Yeah, so it went. They have like goal differential, goal scored, head to head, like dumb. all this stuff, right? And then like I think the fifth or sixth one down the list, if they're all tied, is who had less yellow cards. But if that would have been tied, I think Poland ended up with like two less yellow cards. If that would have been tied, they would have literally just put the team's names like in a hat and just. Or, or I think it was a bowl, and they would have just pulled him out. <laughs> See, and whoever wins what is advantage. dumb about that is they should, at, at that situation they should just drive the two teams to the same stadium yeah, do and do penalty, penalty kick, kicks. Right? Just be like, no, hey, they should. penalty kicks. Could you imagine if we did that for like college football or the NFL or something? Where like after so and in the NFL instead of it being a tie after the ten minute overtime, yeah. you just like draw <laughs> names out of the hat or flip a coin. I guess you already like flip the, a coin for everything else. The Bills Chiefs game last year, instead of determined by if the Chiefs could score a touchdown on the first drive, it was just can Travis Kelsey beat Josh Allen in a game of checkers <laughs> at midfield, and like everybody's watching, like yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, that would be interesting. Tonight. That would be interesting. How about this? John Rothstein reported on this earlier today. Kansas Kevin McCuller. Uh, dealing with a groin injury, will try and play tonight against Seton Hall, according to Bill Self. He's averaging about 10 points over seven rebounds per game. I said yesterday, I was leaning toward Kevin McCuller probably not playing, so this was a bit of a surprise to me. Are you the source? 
<laughs> no, I, no, I, I would be the <laughs> oh, opposite I guess of the, the opposite. here. Yeah, I guess it'd be the opposite. So that was a little bit surprising for me, but that's obviously a good sign for Kansas. You don't have a lot of guard and wing depth if Kevin McCuller is out yeah. while Bobby Pettiford I mean, is also out and Kyle Cuff. I mean, I guess on one hand, it's like if he can give you maybe five or ten minutes of where you can get some rest for Dewan or mm-hmm. Joe Yesfu or whatever, I, I, I guess. Yeah, who but do you like, think the backup I mean, point guard is tonight? Do you think we'll see? Got to be Joe, right? Well, in the in the yeah five to ten minutes, whatever it is that Dewan is on the bench, could it be Joe or could it be Kevin McCuller? Because I mean, yesterday, Bill Self said at his press conference, he said we haven't practiced anybody at point guard um, besides. He said obviously Dewan, Bobby. I can't remember if he said Kevin or not. So that they don't have a lot of sets they're going to be able to run. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, but I just, I'm also curious, like, how much is it worth it to try to roll McCuller out there and and possibly re-injure himself or something, like for five minutes of game time against Seton Hall? Well, like, I don't think he's going to play five minutes if he plays. To oh, me, I view this as if he's going to play, he's going to play 25 plus minutes. You think so? Like that's how I view it. I don't okay. think KU operates from a standpoint of. But the try and play, so that that makes me think that they're going to they're going to he's going to go out there. And if he feels fine, he'll play, you know. Yeah, I view that as a, we're going to see, he's going to go through warm-ups and we'll see how he feels after that. And if he feels good enough, then he'll play. And if he's going to play, he's going to play a full load. If he's not good enough to play, he won't play at all. I don't know. A full load, really? He's not even, I mean, he's clearly not 100%. But if you're saying he's good enough to play, is there really that big of a difference between, like at the end? Yes, absolutely. Between like 25 minutes and 15 minutes? You think there's really that big of a difference between him playing 10 minutes in one college basketball game for a 22-year-old? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> I mean what I said. Like, well, like, and I'm saying the longer you play, the longer he plays, the more possibilities he could, you know, further intensify the injury. But I guess that's what I'm saying is that if they deem he's okay to play, I think they would basically be deeming I mean, that it wouldn't listen, be getting worse. Is 10 minutes not less than 25? It is okay, but I think that's what I'm saying. It's a zero sum. It's a it's a zero or a hundred thing. It's either he is he can't play at all because it's gonna get make the injury worse, or he might not be a hundred percent. But by him playing, it won't make the injury worse. Like I don't think they're going to risk playing him if he could make the groin injury worse if he plays 20 minutes instead of 15. Okay. That would be super silly to play him. So I think it it indicates to me if well, he can it play, it would be silly if you had depth. But they don't. No. So wait, maybe it's not that silly. Even if it's only, like I said, even if it's only five, ten minutes. I don't know. I, I don't think that would happen. Uh, now, when you look at Seton Hall, they're a team that's better defensively than offensively. They do give up some offensive rebounds, though, on the defensive side of the ball. They've been pretty good at basically everything on defense, except they foul you a lot, and they give up offensive rebounds. Which those two things are interesting for Kansas. One, because you don't have a settled five position. But K.J. Adams has been, and any of your centers, have actually been really good so far this season at getting offensive rebounds. Should have an opportunity to exploit that avenue in this game. The thing that may be a little scary, if Seton Hall fouls you a lot, this has been a bad free-throw shooting team. Yeah, yeah, that is concerning. They were 60% or 61% from the the floor or from the line against uh, Texas Southern. Oh, yeah, for the season they're 62. 62, yeah. So that... That could be an issue, right? And I mean, listen, we talk about it all the time. 
great teams, free throw shooting matters in March. Like, like if you're a good three free throw shooting team, that could be the difference between making a deep run and getting bounced in the second round. Yeah. So it's I mean, it. On one hand, it's like, oh, you know, they're not shooting very well from the free throw line, but they're only eight games in the season. But like, on the other hand, you don't want this to become uh, something that continues throughout the season. So that's definitely something that I probably want to mention every game at least until it gets a little better, I guess. Now, on the other end of the floor, Seton Hall's offense leaves a lot to be desired. It's it's not a very good offense. Um, they kind of stink offensively. But they do have a couple things that they do well. And that would be they rebound the ball very well, so they get a lot of offensive rebounds. And they also get to the foul line a lot. So basically, their their defensive weaknesses are their offensive strengths. And that is a little scary. Because of what we said, with possibly a lack of depth, now if Kevin McCuller's back, that, that certainly helps. But even then, still down to 10 scholarship players. Um, they could definitely test that depth if they get guys in foul trouble. And then also yeah. the offensive rebounding thing, Kansas has been not very good at uh, you know cleaning off the defensive glass so and far. We saw what happened when Dewan Harris got in foul trouble. It was, it was an abject disaster, really. And imagine a world where Jalen Wilson gets some quick fouls. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't happen could yet. Be, that would be, and you could be in some serious trouble. I mean, you're the guy that's been the catalyst for your offense the whole season, averaging twenty a game, over twenty a game. If you can't have him on the floor for thirty-five minutes, that could be tough. But th- this this does have the sense of just being a a grimy, gross, ugly game. Yeah, basically. Yeah, it does. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of more. I was trying to think of more adjectives, but I ran out. Disgusting, <laughs> abhorrent. Um, sealed your eyes. <laughs> the over under on DraftKings is one thirty eight and a half. That feels pretty high. The spread is ten. So that would tell you that they're expecting Kansas to win like seventy four sixty four. Personally, I probably would be taking. I mean, is again, Kansas, I, is I, I might be leading. Se- is Kansas getting a seventy four? I don't know. I would be leaning to take Seton Hall with the points because this is what the game feels like to me. I think this is a close game that gets mucked up, like you said, that could be a disgusting or insert whatever word you want to, that Kansas needs that Allen Fieldhouse, Bill Self, late-game magic to kind of push through with some plays in what maybe ends up being a game where Kansas is up four points with a minute and a half left and they need a stop and a score to kind of put the ball away or put the game away, and that they need a big play toward the end of the game where it's not they don't necessarily need a buzzer beater or it's not tied and they need to score 20 seconds left, but it is a close enough game that you're sweating to the last minute or two of the game before they come through with a big play late. That's Which, kind of what I'm expecting. That's to what happen. happening at Southern Utah. Southern Utah. So if it can happen in a game like that, it could certainly something like that could happen against Seton Hall. Mm-hmm. So, How about this? Uh, we got some uh, player props on DraftKings. Okay. Dewan Harris over under 7.5 points. That is my favorite prop bet. Okay. I like the over. It's plus money, plus 105, which to begin with, he's averaging more than that. He's averaging 7.8 points per game, so it's not a lot more. But keep in mind, if you take out the Tennessee game, that number is yeah. up around 8 or 9 points per game. Um, also, if Kevin McCuller isn't playing as much, or even if he is but he's a little more limited in what he can provide for you offensively, and the fact that you don't have Bobby Pettiford as the backup point guard, and the fact that you're going to labor at times to score against Seton Hall, and Dewan in those moments has actually shown the ability to step up. I really like that bet. 
Uh, Grady Dix over-under is 14.5 points. I don't feel great one way or another about that. The teams who have done well against him are the teams that play physical and can face guard him and prevent him from getting the open shots off the catch. And I would think Seton Hall, because they do play hard and they do play physical, that might not be a great meeting there, but I don't want to bet the under either. Jalen Wilson's 21.5, which at this point, I missed the early days of the season when it was like, like 15. It was yeah, like, I'll pound like the over, 16, you know? 17, yeah. Yeah, now it's just, it's it's hard. His over-under rebounding, too, is 9.5, which same kind of thing. Um, Grady Dix rebounding 4.5. Dewan Harris rebounding 2.5. Yeah, Grady Dix started the year as kind of a pretty efficient rebounder, but he hasn't, he's kind of lost that a little bit recently. And and I, I don't know, I mean, he's a freshman, obviously, so I, I think he's probably dealing a little bit with, some of the mental side of the game, you know, of teams focusing him pretty heavily and taking him out of the game, right? I imagine that can be frustrating for a, for a guy like that. So having to work through some of that stuff, and I, I think I trust Bill Self to kind of help him stay focused, though, mentally. And, and obviously we've seen him struggle on the, on the defensive side, which we know how important that is to, to Bill. So I trust the Bill will kind of keep him focused on that, but that, that is interesting is that it seems like Grady has had fluctuations even like within games where he looks out of it and then five minutes later he's really turned on and then kind of it goes back and forth. So I, I don't know. I mean, you, you want to keep him you want to keep him locked in, but when you're I mean, think about it. When you're getting face guarded like the whole like the Tennessee game, when you're getting face guarded the whole game and you can touch the ball like maybe once <laughs> a possession, that's gotta be really frustrating. And then oh, you have to sure. and then you have to keep the energy on the defensive side as well. So well, Grady Dick over under assists is one and a half. Jalen's three and a half. I kind of like this one too. Dewan Harris five and a half assists. That's plus one hundred if you get six or more. He averages six assists per game. I like that. Yeah, uh, and you figure he's going to be, you know, dishing and dealing for sure. The three pointers. Dewan over point five. Think you can make a three tonight? That's minus one fifteen. Maybe Grady Dick over under two and a half. I miss the days when those were one and a half. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Wilson over under one and a half. So those Which, are some interesting know, ones. Jalen Wilson caught fire in the last game. Yeah. So maybe that continues a little bit into this one. Yep. So keep all those in mind because now we are going to do Rock Chalk Pick a Hawk. We threw out <laughs> the results of the last game. So I remained with 4-1 to one lead. But because last game never happened because the Kevin McCuller injury for us, I still get the first pick like I would have had last matchup. Okay. I'm going to go Jalen Wilson. So we're snaking? Yes, we are snaking. Jalen Wilson, clear number one pick, gets points, gets rebounds, gets a handful of assists. Jalen Wilson. I'm going to go with DeWan Harris. Okay. Gets gets steals, gets assists, gets some rebounds. And then, ooh. Go with the injured Kevin McCuller that for all we know, and, and to be clear, yeah. if Kevin McCuller does not play tonight, we're still counting it. We're still counting it because we know okay. going into it that disclaimer, he might not play yep, or he could play. Disclaimer. Yes. Yes. This one counts regardless. Mm-hmm. I'm not I been, guess unless like Jalen or DeWan doesn't play, right? <laughs> No, I'm, man, I, I, I'm going to go with Grady Dick. Okay. Avoided the risk of Kevin McCuller. So I, Are too, gonna am going to avoid Kevin? the risk, at least on this pick. What I mentioned, Seton Hall gives up a lot of offensive rebounds. K.J. Adams has been really good on the offensive class. He has struggled getting defensive rebounds, but he has been good at offensive rebounding. I think he can he can get you a handful of offensive rebounds there, which are worth two each as part of this. Maybe he can get you a couple dunks, maybe a block or two. Seton Hall has gotten a lot of shots blocked this year, too, so there's an avenue for okay. him to yeah. get some some more points. I'll go KJ there. Then, man, do I want to trust it with Kevin McCuller? 
But I want to go with a bench player. I am going to go with a bench player. I'm going to go with MJ Rice. No. We have seen MJ Rice play well against some lesser opponents, not really do much of anything against bigger opponents, but a big reason why could just be the health stuff. I mean, he had kidney stones, for goodness sake. Dude, I was going to take MJ Rice. Well, now you can't because he's mine. That's so sad. <laughs> um, like, there's not even any. I guess. <laughs> I mean, Joe, I guess you have to go with Joe. I guess, I guess I'll take Joe. And then, I mean, it's just like with Zuby or center or Ernest, McCuller, like Michael Jankovic. Those guys, they don't even. I'll go with Ernest. I'll go with Ernest today. Didn't sound super thrilled with that pick. I'm not. Okay, I thought you would have taken McCuller with one of those. I I'll take the risk with McCuller here. It's okay. too late in the draft not to. Okay. And then I'll go with my guy Zuby Edgefer, which uh, leaves you with the one pick. So I would assume. That you're going to take Zach Clements, but I don't know. You could go Jankovic. There's a chance uh, Clements comes in, goes 0 for 2 from 3, and then gets pulled yeah. with one rebound 0 for the 2. The thing is, like, negative one point. I mean, the only way Jankovic gets on the floor in this game is if you have serious yeah. foul trouble. But what if what if Kevin McCuller can't play? Here, here's your path to him playing. Yeah, Kevin McCuller can't play. Dewan Harris can't gets play. in foul trouble, or MJ Rice gets in foul trouble. And they can't or, score, and they're like, we need someone to come in and hit a 3 for us. They're face guarding Grady. We need somebody else on the floor. And they go, we're going to put okay. Jankovic in for a three-minute spell. You've convinced me to go with Jankovic. Okay. Why? Just, I don't know why, <laughs> honestly. Well, let's see Zach Clemens hit a three. I'm already so demoralized. Up, you know? my, my, I suck at this. You're only down four. If you win tonight, it's only a two-win two deficit. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I don't like my team, though. <laughs> well, the good news, you get to pick a new one next game. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney will join us in less than 20 minutes. We'll uh, be back after this timeout. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney will be on with us in about 15 minutes right now. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You are listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We got KU basketball tonight at 8 o'clock, pregame 6.30. You're on KLWN, KLWN app or on our sister station, 105.9 KISS. News from earlier today that the college football playoff is going to be expanding. Unfortunately, I don't know. Why can't they okay. start this next year? Why do they have to wait till 2024? Well, here's what I don't understand. How is this news? We already knew it was expanding. Like, why is it like, well, we knew it was expanding oh, they're expanding. Eventually. Oh, now they're expanding again. Oh, they're just, like, we already knew they were expanding. Well, but we knew they were expanding eventually, but we didn't know if it was going to be once the four-team playoff contract ended, which was 2026, or if they were going to be able to iron out a deal that allowed them to impose it before the contract ended. So that's okay. what the news is. The news is that we don't have to wait till 2026. It's that now we only have to wait till 2024. But I'm still wondering, why can't we just start this in 2020 for the 23-24 season? So, like, the first year of the playoff won't be – so this year is the 22-23 season. Then we'll have the 23-24 season, and then the following season, the 24-25 season, is when it will begin. So I don't know why we have to wait that long. So but, we're a whole season away, basically. Yeah, so we have the rest of this year and then next year, too, um, with the four-team playoff. This, uh, I think, is it, it's hard to say it's interesting from a Kansas football perspective because they haven't even been close to being like in the top 12 <laughs> of so late. So like it's going to sound so stupid to talk about this, but... like. This, this is very exciting for Kansas because 
in a 12-team playoff, it does actually give you access that if I were to tell you Kansas is going to appear in a playoff in the, within the next you know 15 years, you wouldn't balk at it anymore. Whereas no. if, if it was the 14 playoff, you'd be like, that's very unlikely. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And I mean, I guess in this scenario, like it would be in, it would be possible in theory where you could finish third in the Big 12 mm-hmm. and still have a chance to make it. Yeah. Right, which is not out of their own possibility for Kansas, I guess, given their upward trajectory that we think that they are on, right? But I think you would need to I think you need to have at least a season or two of Kansas football where they're able to go like 8 and 4, 9 oh, and 3. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, I would be like, "Oh yeah." Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. seriously, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But like with Kansas State, right? Kansas State is in a position right now where they're playing for the Big 12 title and it has no bearing. Like they're playing in the Sugar Bowl whether they win or lose. This is why I say we should bring back the BCS. I hey, I'm all for it. I love the BCS. Cuz listen, I'm down. Look at the look at the teams that are in the top 12 right now. If we're going to have a playoff. Does Penn State deserve to play for a national championship in a no. playoff? They had their chance. Mm-hmm. They got blown out by Michigan and Ohio State. Does Ohio State deserve a chance? No. They lost. The, they they played a playoff game against Michigan and they got blown out. Now I will Does say, K State deserve a chance? Um, no. They lost to Tulane. Imagine if we did that in the NFL. We we're like, sorry, you you know you got upset by the Browns. Oh, sorry, Chiefs. You, you to lost to the Colts in right. Week Five. You don't get to be in the playoff. Um, I just think it's but I, I, just I, think I it's dumb. I was all for the BCS. Here, one of my favorite things about the BCS is that the other bowl games mattered. The yes. other BCS bowl games matter, and you still had in the back of your hand, in the back of your head, if you were the number three, number four, number five team, it was like, hey, if we blow out our opponent in our bowl game, in our BCS bowl game, and like the number two team wins the national title, and they were kind of people were wondering if they should have even been in the title or something, like maybe we have a chance of being the number one team in the AP poll, like what happened with uh, USC and LSU in in two thousand three. I think that. This is exciting, though, from that standpoint, that if Kansas does have that type of season where even if they're 9-3, and three, but they're playing for a Big 12 title, you can be like, man, if they win this, we get to be in a playoff. And, and it's not just that. Maybe they could even work their way up to being like the number 8-ranked team, like I think would have happened in the Orange Bowl year. You would have probably been hosting a first-round playoff game. Like, that would have been so much fun. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I don't like it. I like it better here's, here's than the here, playoff. The, for the people crying about, well, bowl games don't matter. Players just opt out. Dude, it's the year 2022. We got NIL. Just pay them to play in your bowl game. Just cheese the, it. Pay your players to play in the bowl game. The NCAA has that stupid rule where you can't do pay for play. That's why. Just get rid of that rule. Just for the bowl games or something. I don't know. I hate the NCAA. Yeah, they're stupid. Uh, how long before we hear people starting to say we need to expand to 16? No, I don't know. Probably like like, after the first version. They're of the probably going to start. They're probably going to start that conversation before we even expand to twelve. <laughs> Are you serious? They're probably going to start that conversation before we get to twelve. Very quickly. Yes, it before is. we get to twelve. Now, here, and here's what I'll say: People are like, "Oh, well, do FCS Division Two, they'll have big, big playoffs." North Dakota State won ten out of twelve yeah. years. Wisconsin Whitewater <laughs> won every year for the past two decades. I do something I want to happen because they're just going to for the first year. They're going to do the uh, the first round is going to be at the higher seed, and then the quarterfinals will be at the bowl games. I hope in the future they only have the bowl game sites for the semifinal and final because I think it would be so fun to like see Alabama have to go on the road 
in the snow to play like Michigan or something. Or see like one of these hot weather teams who you don't have to deal with the elements, which like in the NFL, at some point throughout happen. the season, you're going to have to deal with the elements. And that's part of the game. We never have to deal with that in college. And I do think that would be something that would actually hurt the SEC in certain games. Like you have Florida going on the yeah, road to the pay, take on Ohio gonna, State. They're not going to want that. Of course they're not, but I don't care. I want it. I want to see Alabama <laughs> playing in the snow. Let's do it. All I right. just, I just, I don't need to see Georgia play Utah. I don't oh, need I, to see that. I want to in Utah or something. That'd be cool. Let's do it. No, no, it would be at Georgia. Yeah, you're right with that. All right, I don't need to see Michigan play LSU. But guess what? You're gonna watch it anyway. I know. That's what makes me even more angry about it. <laughs> is I'm gonna be there, and that that hurts my feelings. That I'm gonna be there. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Brian Haney joins us next. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Joined now by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Of course, you'll be able to hear him on the call tonight with tip off at eight o'clock. That'll be after the Crimson and Blue Show starts up at six thirty. You can hear it right here on KLWN and our sister station 105.9 Kiss. So Seton Hall's the opponent in this one, a team who plays good defense and. Uh, as we were talking about earlier in the show, it's interesting because they give up a lot of offensive rebounds, but they get a lot of offensive rebounds on their own, which should make it interesting for the KU bigs down low. But uh, what do you view for the the, the keys to this game and, and what kind of sticks out to you about the meeting between the Jayhawks and the Pirates? Well, I'm curious to see how the Pirates come out tonight because they got called out by their coach after a one and two stint down in Orlando. Same event we played in last year lost to Dayton in. They they lost to Oklahoma by thirteen as I'm sure you guys chronicled and, and Holloway gets on his guys after a one and two week and says he's never had a team that didn't, you know, show up with passion and desire to play and all that. And so it's kind of a the perfect light of fuse type pep talk before you head into the premier venue in all of college basketball. You know they'll be playing with their hair on fire tonight uh, just because they're here at Kansas and they're in Allen Fieldhouse, but especially after he really uh, laid down some, some pretty strong words on the heels of that. So I expect a, a much more intense effort than what we've seen because they've been a little bit up and down. Their coach self has cautioned us that we should be very wary of, of what they're capable of, even though they come in at four and three. And obviously, you know, Coach Holloway's reputation precedes him after the great Elite Eight run a year ago. But, you know, going back even further, um, and, and you guys are both too young. I barely remember it, but I was looking through their game notes, and there's a really cool photo of him as a McDonald's All-American in 1996, slapping high fives with Kobe Bryant in the layup line. And people forget that this guy was a superstar back then, collegiately, all-time assist leader at Seton Hall. He actually turned down Duke to pick Seton Hall. He's from Queens, and um, according to one of the stories I read, Coach K told him he's the only guy that ever visited the Duke campus twice and didn't commit to Duke. Coach K wow. used to getting told no, and he got told no by Sheen Holloway back in the day. And so they had some great teams back then. I mean, the Seton Hall tradition for for younger Jayhawk fans, you probably don't realize how good they used to be. But uh, obviously they gave us all we wanted and more back in 2018 in Wichita in the second round of the NCAA tournament. We narrowly escaped on that day, 83-79. And I think this is one that, you know, the odds makers say we're 10-point favorites, and, and I think that's about right. 
I think Kansas can win this game in the double digits, but I would expect you know a better fight out of these guys than what Oklahoma saw last week, and and really uh, you know what we've seen over their first seven games because this is the marquee game on their schedule. They got a coach that uh, you know just took his team to the Elite Eight last year at St. Peter's, and now playing at his alma mater is, is going to tell these guys what an opportunity this is. And they got a, a preseason All Conference pick as well, so they got talent. But I, I will say, I think of of our month of December. The, the bigger challenges are the next two. So hopefully we can handle business here tonight. Maybe reinforcements for this team kind of on the way with the uh, way that Joe Yesifu and MJ Rice have kind of been playing here over the last game or two, uh, depending on the player. Uh, with MJ Rice, how do you kind of chronicle what to expect from him moving forward? Because you're talking about a guy that um, has had two really big games against North Dakota State and then last game against Texas Southern hasn't had a, a big game necessarily against any of the bigger opponents, but also there's health stuff that has been kind of in between with the kidney stones and back injury and getting sick. I think it was COVID that he had. What are kind of your expectations for him? And, and is he the guy that can maybe be the, the changer of this team, like kind of adding something more to what they were maybe uh, in that battle for Atlantis? Maybe. And it's funny, as you were listing off those injuries, I'm, I'm chuckling because Greg Gurley was talking on the broadcast the other night as I was saying, kidney stones, bad back. And he looks at me and he's like, these are injuries old guys like us deal with, <laughs> not some 18-year-old five-star. You know, Greg's pushing 50, mm-hmm. I'm 42. And, uh, and it's the 18-year-old that has the emergency kidney stones deal. So he's been through a lot, but I was so impressed with him the other night on Hawk Talk and if you didn't hear that conversation, go back and, and listen to the archive on QUAthletics.com. Really funny exchange, by the way, between him and Bill Self. He, he had told me that Coach had taught him to smile more because he's got a great personality and a really infectious, charismatic uh, expression about him when he smiles, those pearly whites. And so we get Coach on the mic, and, and I say to MJ, I'm like, well, now the coach is up here. What else has he taught you besides smile more? And I'm expecting he's going to be talking about, you know, going to my left hand or, or defending in, in uh, you know, the, the great three-position stance. Well, I don't know, whatever it is. And, and instead he says, um, you know, he taught me to pull my head out of my butt. <laughs> and the look on Self's face, he's like, what? And he goes, no, 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 no. We would never say that in a way that obviously they say that all the time. But it was just a really, really honest moment. But as far as forecasting, like what to expect from him, um, I'm – I'm curious as much as you guys are what it's going to look like against the big-time opponents because you're right. His best two games have come against lesser foes. And what's it going to look like against Indiana? What's it going to look like on the road at Mizzou? Which I loved and hated your tweet at the same time the other day when you called to attention the uh, the Ken Palm percentage index for that game at 53%. Great foresight on your part to get us thinking about that. You're so good on social media. But at the same time, I have actually lost a little bit of sleep ever since reading that tweet. So thanks for that. <laughs> well, but, uh, but anyway. You, you probably, how, to make you feel better. Oh, I, I was just going to say, to make you feel better, Nick is already like pulling his hair out <laughs> over the thought of KU possibly playing Missouri in the Liberty Bowl. So. <laughs> I know, right? And so if we get that back-to-back with two weeks in between, like, we better at least go 1-1, one and one, hopefully 2-0, and oh, uh, because we wouldn't hear the end of it if it went the other way. But uh, And by the way, you know, we're not going to talk football today, I understand, but uh, yeah, we're hearing Liberty and we're hearing guaranteed rates is perhaps the two most likely. Obviously, the two Texas Bowls in Fort Worth and Dallas are still in play, but uh, 
hopeful that we'll we'll hear something maybe late Saturday. The official announcement comes Sunday, of course. But uh, but yeah, it's it's shaping up to to possibly be go west or go east. And I know a lot of Jayhawks fans would love to stay in the Lone Star State since it's easier to get to. But those are good options nonetheless. But back to MJ Rice, you know, mm-hmm. I'm curious to see what it looks like, you know, when he goes up against guys his size because maybe the the best gift he has as a true freshman is he looks like he's 21 or, or or even just 20 years old, a couple of years more seasoned in the weight room. He's very physically imposing, and I, I think you're going to see his athleticism really start to shine as he gets more chances and feels more comfortable to be assertive within this offense. We need that number three scorer to emerge uh, behind Grady Dick and, and Jalen Wilson. It looked like at the start of the season it was going to be Kevin McCuller, and he's had performances like the Wisconsin game with 18 that prove he can be that. But currently on the shelf with the groin injury, and I think obviously defense is his calling card. And so there's going to be some games where he's not much of a focal point. And you'd like to have someone like an MJ or a Joe Yesifu emerge in those instances. And I think second halves like the other night versus Texas Southern, when all 19 of his points came after the break. By the way, six of eight in the second half, you saw the light come on. You saw a guy really gain some confidence to where when he gets in against bigger, better, more athletically imposing teams, he'll still have confidence to try to go hunt his shot because he did it uh, you know, in a real game setting and not just in practice. But I'm real high hopes for him at this point. But obviously the, the biggest question mark hovering over the team right now is getting that five-man uh, a little bit more established and, and getting more production and consistency out of the center position, whoever it is. And so those are things that that hopefully with all this extra practice time in the month of December, just five games in the month. And after tonight playing on the first, we play just four more times in the next 30 days. Self is loving it because he, he wants practice time as much as anything. He's going to get ample practice time with these guys. And so hopefully we'll see Ernest and Zuby and the rest of the gang grow up a lot in the next four weeks. And, uh, and then in the case of, of Cam, it sounds like he's awfully close. You know, I, I watched Cam Martin shooting on the side down in Atlantis one day in, in the practice court, which is also a ballroom, by the way. And, and I watched him go around the horn and hit 11 out of 12 threes, barely breaking a sweat. Now that's unguarded in a ballroom in another country. Let's, let's put him on the floor with a hand in his face at Gallagher-Iba. It's a lot tougher. But point is, he's able to do a lot right now. He's still probably 10 days away. But uh, he's definitely going to help Kansas once he gets back, and I'm, I'm as eager as anybody to see what that looks like. Yeah, with Cam Martin on the verge of possibly coming back, and like you highlighted, the fact that some of the other five guys have struggled to emerge, really. I mean, what realistically do you think you can expect from Cam Martin? Can he carve out a significant role, or will he just kind of fall in as more of another, maybe more supplemental type guy? Man, I wish I could give you some kind of insight, Nick, but honestly, I have no idea because I'd heard good things about the behind-closed-door scrimmage that they'd had in the preseason with Illinois, that he stood out, and I don't even know what that means statistically. And then he got hurt, and so none of the practices I've seen since you know, have featured him actually in a game setting. And, and so there really isn't a whole lot to go off of. But I know it was a good offseason for him. You hear so much about you know, his ability as a stretch big man to, to step back and hit that shot, uh, which is great, and it, and it certainly makes for tough matchups. 
But we also need a guy that's going to put his nose in there and get eight rebounds a game and a guy that's going to protect the rim. And the guy that's obviously most suited to do that once he finds his footing and really settles in is Ernest with a 7-4 wingspan and a 6-11 height and great leaping ability and good feet and all that. And so, you know, my hope is that we'll really start to see Ernest find some kind of rhythm and confidence and consistency because he gives us our best chance. And, and what I want to caution people is for those that are like, oh, my gosh, you know, we haven't figured it out yet, and yada, yada. Hey, we played eight games. Last year we played 40. Not every season do you play till Monday night in April, but eight out of 40 means we played 20% of our schedule. So we're like in the bottom of the second inning. All right, so there's plenty of time to, to see a third score emerge or a five-man start to step to the forefront. And so whether it's Cam offering that or the more traditional post presence that just needs to work on his touch around the basket and, and some other things in, in all aspects of his game in earnest, it's going to come. It's just a matter of, of what does it look like and how quickly does it arrive. And Bill, Bill Self's going to get him there, no doubt. If there's any coach in America who can take a team and, and transform them from a pretty dang good team right now to a great one in a couple of months, it's certainly Coach Self. And so it'll happen. But I'd love to give you more specifics, Nick. That just really isn't a sample size to look at of, of what he's like as an interior banger type guy on the block you know you hear so much about how he was country strong when he was at missouri southern you hear so much about and you watch the highlight mixtapes of all the 24 footers he was hitting when he was playing for boshi i don't think he's going to be jacking up five of those a game once he gets back to kansas but but can he have one or two of those but also help us on the glass and be more of a presence on the defensive boards that's what i'd like to see and Hopefully, uh, if not Missouri, it sounds like Indiana looks likely for him. And, boy, that's jumping into the big boy into the pool right away. But uh, either way, you know, we need another body in there, and, and we're all as intrigued as any to see what it's going to look like. Yeah, I think that maybe is what makes him so interesting to, to Kansas fans. Is Here's a guy that Richard, last season, obviously nobody, we didn't really get to see him play, and now on the verge of getting a chance to play, he suffers this injury. So now you've got this sort of interesting idea of, just really excited to see what he could bring, right? I am. And, you know, I don't want to overhype and set the bar too high because, you know, obviously this is a guy that's playing for the first time at the major conference level. But at the same time, I don't want to undersell him either. I mean, Texas offered him a scholarship the same time we did. So and it's not like we were doing Boshi some kind of favor by giving this guy a chance. He was sought after by multiple top 10 Big 12 schools, and so, you know, that says a lot about what his capabilities could be. I don't think he's going to step in and be some kind of world beater, but, but could he step in and, and give you six and five uh, on a nightly basis? Absolutely. And, and that would go a long ways right now in a pretty unsettled front court situation. Um, and, but like I said, I, I really think as we project to like February and March, we really need to see Ernest become all that he can be, and Zuby too. But but to me, I look at Ernest and I think about a young Doak, and if he could have what Doak didn't have, and that's a season of, of good health all the way in his rookie year, I, I think he could come a long ways in the next couple of months. We're talking with the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. Some uh, sad news yesterday with John Hadle passing away, and as I mentioned it on yesterday's show, like you could make a real case he is the greatest 
KU football player of all time. Certainly, he'd be on the short list because there are a lot of other great players you would have to discuss there. But, I mean, you're talking about a, an All-American level punter, quarterback, halfback. He uh, held the, the longest interception return record for about 40, 50 years. But also a guy that just bled crimson and blue. Jayhawk through and through, comes back to Lawrence after his professional career, sticks around, whether it's as a coach, as a uh, someone in the athletic department, as a fundraiser, whatever it was. Did did you get any chances to kind of interact with John Hadle? Do you have a good John Hadle story to, to kind of share? Well, you need to get Greg Gurley on because Greg worked with him, obviously, okay. for 20 years in, in fundraising, and he's got the best stories. But I, I certainly was blessed to be around him quite a bit. And, uh, and I would tell you, he was a guy's guy. He was uh, just a Jayhawk through and through that, as you said, coaches here, raised funds here, plays here. Lawrence High legend before that. He loved this town. He loved this school. But, but went away and, and did great things professionally that should have him in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I know he's in the College Football Hall of Fame, but many people for a long time have felt like he's absolutely worthy of a Pro Football Hall of Fame consideration as well. And you look at some of the numbers he posted for his era, very impressive stuff, all the Pro Bowls and, and all Pro distinctions, NFL Man of the Year in 1971. I mean, he, he was fantastic. Four-time AFL All-Star, two times in the Pro Bowls, so you know, six total All-Star appearances. Phenomenal. And when I think about his Kansas career, you said it. I mean, he was an All-American at two different positions. And, oh, yeah, by the way, hit a 94-yard punt at one point. So, I mean, this guy was a do-everything player. But I had a chance late in his life, before he went into assisted living and full-time nursing home to go into his house and, and have a, a long-form sit-down conversation. And, man, this guy was just full of great stories, some of which we could tell on the air, others we couldn't. I mean, keep in mind, when, when he was a, a quarterback out uh, in San Diego and L.A., you know, he, he knew a lot of famous actresses, and, and he had a lot of friends that, that socially, this guy was, was rubbing elbows with, with some of the, the big-time actresses of his day. Uh, and, and again, you know, I just say that to say he, he lived a charmed life to the fullest, and he had some fascinating stories of, of what that was like. So I think about a guy that was just the ultimate representation of someone who loves KU. And I can't think of anyone more synonymous with KU football. Don Fambro certainly is right there on the short list too, as someone that you know was fired by KU, but KU was was so near and dear to his heart. He came back a second time around and and also, you know, coached in, in two different stints while being a player as well. And in, in John's case, he just devoted his whole life to it. Outside of his time in the pros, he was either coaching here or raising money for the Williams Fund and um you know, making this his home, you know, for the bulk of his life. So I have nothing but amazing things to say about him and so thankful that I got a chance to get to know him uh, in the twilight of his career because nobody loved this place more. And he did so much to help this program in every way you possibly could that, uh, I mean, he, he deserves every accolade and honor and, and uh, great comment that's said about him this week and, and for all of time. And I'm so glad couple of years ago that we got those statues done. I mean, maybe the best thing that came out of that regime 
here in Kansas athletics history was was getting those two statues up uh, with Gail Sayers and, and John Hale right outside of, of the Anderson family football complex. And so um, he is forever, you know, etched in our hearts and minds as, as the truest of, of all Jayhawks. And, and I think Bill Self said it best yesterday. He said, you know, guys like Max Falkenstein, that they're known as like the consummate Jayhawk, not just for one sport or one thing. They're Jayhawks through and through. And he said, John Hadle is cut from that same cloth. And then he paid him a great compliment. He said he was the coolest of cool dudes that didn't have to tell you he was cool. He always made it about other people. And I love that because some guys just have that natural Captain Cool charisma and moxie, and, and they don't have to act like they're big time. They just, they just ooze it just by the way they treat people and the air of confidence they walk with. And he was that kind of guy. So uh, anybody that had a chance to spend two minutes with him was better for it. And I've certainly count my blessings that I had a chance to, to spend a little more than that. That's awesome. Well, Brian, appreciate the time as always. Looking forward to hearing you on the call tonight. Before you go, a uh, word from Nate Miller. That's right. Big thanks to my buddy, Nate Miller. He's helping me with my financial future and my long-term investments. He could do the same for you. Get your game plan for your portfolio and your long-term financial security together today by visiting MillerRetirementGroup.com. That's MillerRetirementGroup.com. He not only helps you make good money decisions, but he pours his money back into the community. Big supporter of numerous local organizations. So love that guy. I appreciate his sponsorship, and it's always fun coming on with you guys. Ryan, thanks again, and uh, like I said, have a good call tonight. Looking forward to hearing you on the airwaves. Hey, thanks so much, fellas. Always a pleasure. Cue the disclaimer. Ryan is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Ryan does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. That was Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. We have KU mailbag, some audio, and plenty of other stuff to get to later on in the show. This is RCST. Time for our KU mailbag here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We're going to have some uh, Jalen Wilson audio, Bill Self audio to get to you later on throughout the show as well um we got ku pregame starting at 6 30 tip off at eight o'clock between kansas and seton hall tonight after the show right here on klwn okay first question comes from tyler if you had to have a starting five of a cloned ku player who would you take okay the question didn't specify but is this current ku players or are we i would assume it was only current? current yeah yeah Okay, if it's only current, you can you couldn't really go with Dewan Harris. I think if you went with Grady Dick, you wouldn't have any defense. If you go with KJ Adams, I don't know how you would score. I mean, Jalen Wilson's right there for the taking. He's probably the number one guy because you get some size, you get a score, you get a three point shooter. You could again. I think if you go with Kevin McCuller, you run into the issue of of well, maybe some difficulty scoring. MJ Rice would be an interesting one because you would probably be flying all over the court. I mean, five MJ Rices, man. That that's <laughs> that's something to think about. Well, here's the problem with five MJ Rices. 
They're not going to love passing the ball to each other. It's going to be a lot of guys just taking shots. I like MJ Rice, but I don't think that would be the good answer there. I do think it's between. I think Jalen Wilson is the, the easy uh, he, answer. He, yeah, he, yeah, he's. it's almost too easy to he's go with He's versatile enough. Yeah. He's tall enough. He's got enough size. He can bring the ball up, which he does. He initiates. He can shoot it enough. But, like, you know, I think, like, a KJ Adams would be. Would be entertaining. I yes, I, think. I would love to see that. You're right. The KJ Adams team does not score very much. Well, <laughs> they would score on on two way. They would just well, <laughs> throw shots up and they would get offensive rebounds and well, stick backs. The and problem get fouled, is the whole game. The, free throws. the whole game would be played in the paint because it's it's KJ Adams. Like you, if you if you have KJ Adams staying in the corner, a smart team is not going to guard him. <laughs> So it's how many <laughs> how many wide how many open people? standstill threes can the KJ Adams team make? <laughs> or how many people can you cram? How many yeah. KJ Adams can you into cram the into the lane? That would actually be very I mean, entertaining. You wouldn't even you wouldn't even be able to pass. You'd have, yeah. You'd have, I mean, think about it. If like I said, if the other team is smart, if you send KJ Adams to the corner, you don't guard him. So you have you're gonna have eight guys, basically nine guys crammed into the lane. Well, here's the case for the all KJ Adams team though. <laughs> The other team is going to have all sorts of trouble scoring. They're not going to be able to score. Right, you're right. So, what's the target score for the KJ Adams offense? Can they get to like 40 <laughs> points? That gives you a chance to win. That might be too high. Right? Well, they're going to play a super slow down game. So, yeah, what if they get to like 35? Does that give them a chance at winning? Yes, absolutely. So can, I think so. Can if if they take they every can switch shot, everything, they can yes. you know. So, if they take if they take every shot a wide open 3 because the defense isn't covering them, and they get off, you're probably getting off 40 to 50 <laughs> shots, 50 shots for the game. Can they make 12 of 53s? If they're wide open, we'd I think ha- we'd they have can. to ask KJ Adams. I think they can. We'd have to get KJ Adams next time. He has but yeah, that'd be an ugly brand of basketball. I, th- I think the number two answer is Kevin McCuller. Yeah. Versatile enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's versatile enough. It's you do like you said had have a question about can you score consistently enough? But he can score a lot better than KJ can. <laughs> and <laughs> well, he can he has different levels. To yeah, scoring, he's going to be a really you know. good defender. That team's going to be awesome. You, you probably wouldn't. That team's going to get twenty steals a game. If I'm playing, if I play five KJ ad or uh, <laughs> Kevin McCullers, I'm playing a, a full court press the whole game to get easy buckets yeah. and like they're going to get a lot of steals. Yep, you, you probably couldn't go with any of the bigs. I mean, no. I, I, I mean, maybe Zach Clements, but no. like he doesn't he doesn't shoot well enough, or he hasn't shot well yeah, enough so far this can't season. Do that. Ernest Uday, the the thing, the key with Ernest Uday is what makes him great with lobs is someone's lobbing to <laughs> right. him. Right, he can't lob. He can't it to lob himself. It to himself. <laughs> I don't think that would work. Um, so that wouldn't work. Joey Estefu would be another maybe kind of fun frisky one, but again, no size. Okay, wait, who wins? Who wins in the matchup between the five Grady Dicks versus the fra- five KJ Adams? <laughs> because on one hand, in that probably KJ Adams, KJ Adams, the five they KJ just, Adams, they could just go down low and, and they're going to bully them inside, and yeah. they're going to get so many rebounds. Yes. They're going to get every rebound. Yes, but Grady Dick is going to make so many more threes. But if KJ well, Adams is chasing him constantly, they're not going to get many openings. And KJ Adams is going to bully the Grady yes. Dick screens that Grady Dick sets for Grady Dick. <laughs> I definitely so. think the KJ Adams team would win there. <laughs> what if you had a what if what if you had a Dewan Harris team versus a Kevin McCuller team? Ooh, I'm taking the Kevin McCuller. I more do length. think Dewan Harris would More be length. a sneaky good answer. Obviously, you don't have the length inside, but he's so good at, at being able to strip the ball. I mean, he would just disrupt ball, everything, right? right? Yeah. Like, like if you have Dewan Harris attack. going, it's five KJ Adams. KJ Adams can't handle the ball. I would take Dewan in that. So he's yeah. going to get a bunch of steals and probably and a bunch of open. All the KJ Adams are fouling out. I mean, <laughs> the, each Dewan is going to take ten charges each. You know, that's a fun question. I like that one. Uh, yeah, I mean, but yeah, the like answer is Jalen. Yeah, Jalen's the obvious one, I think. Mm-hmm. But you could have some fun with the other ones. This one from Kyle. 
Do you think Yesifu is a factor for this team in conference play? His struggle is real right now, and it's tough to watch. Now, to be clear, I should make was this question before. This question was before yeah. the before he had a good Tennessee game. game. Uh, it was, I think it was or actually no, the day the of the Tennessee game. Oh, okay. Because he had 14 against Tennessee and then 14 against Texas Southern. Yeah. Okay. The answer to this question is if injuries persist for other members of the team, then the answer is yes, unequivocally yes. Like if Bobby Pettiford continues to kind of be hampered by injuries, which we hope he's not, but that's he's kind of struggled with that throughout his career at KU. If that continues to be an issue, if MJ Rice continues to maybe be hampered or continues to maybe be a little bit more up and down, right? If Kyle Cuff, we know he's going to be out for a while, right? So I think from that standpoint, the answer is yes. Joe Yesfu has to carve out some kind of role, even if it's like, I think what you made a great point earlier when you said there've been players in the past with Bill Self where you come in and you're taking shots. And if you miss your first three shots, back to the back. Like Isaiah Moss. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Like, like Joe Yesfu. Maybe that's his role once he gets a conference play. As a guy who's just come in, he's a scorer. That's what he's. That's what he was at Drake before he came to KU. Come in, and if you can score, great. If you can't score, you're going to be back on the bench. So maybe that is kind of his role. But yeah, I think the critical thing here is the injuries. Plus, maybe a guy like MJ Rice is still up and down and a little more inconsistent. That's the path to Joe Yesfu having more of a sizable role. I think once he gets a conference play. Yes, and I think. It would very much benefit Kansas if he does have a, a role by the end of the season because of what that would mean. Yeah, for sure. In that it would mean that, you know, he has played well enough to earn that role, that he is hitting those shots, that he is scoring enough for you. Um, this is his chance right now. He has the extra minutes. He has the extra opportunity. Keep playing like you did the last few games. Yeah. He's going to be a part of it. Yeah, if you can get into the Bill Self-Trust Street right now where some of the other guys are, are unable to play, then that might get you some more minutes also. Yeah. Now, if you did ask this about the NCAA tournament, it becomes even tougher because really the rotation right now, it's it's mainly seven guys with an eighth, ninth, even tenth guy at times, and maybe an eleventh guy gets on there when everybody's healthy. Once we get to conference play, it's going to be like, Again, the seven main trusted guys, you're going to have an eighth guy play and then maybe a ninth guy. Once we get to the tournament, it's seven guys, maybe an eighth guy playing. So once we get to that point where it's only seven guys, maybe an eighth guy playing, can he make the cut? I don't know. It's kind of hard to see who he would play above to get into that top seven or eight. Yeah. But for conference play, I think he definitely can, especially if he plays like he has the past few games. This one from JD, which out of the four projected bowl games, this was in response to... Uh, the tweet I had about all the different bowls that KU was projected to. So those four bowls would be First Responder Bowl, Liberty Bowl, Armed Forces Bowl, Guaranteed Rate Bowl. Which of those four would you put as the most desirable to go to? Oh, the obvious answer is uh, Phoenix. Which bowl, Which one's Phoenix? I believe that's the, the Guaranteed, guaranteed rate. rate. Okay, Guaranteed Rate Bowl is the obvious answer, man. Going to Phoenix, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. I think from the more holistic perspective for like the KU fan base and all that stuff, You'd probably, we had Brian Haney on earlier. He mentioned it. You'd probably want a bowl in Texas, right? Like Dallas is a pretty easy yeah, big drive hub. to get there. Yeah, Dallas would be easy. Uh, the other one's in Fort Worth, I think. So that's mm-hmm. pretty close. So those, I think those would probably be the most desired in terms of fan hype, in terms of excitement, in terms of getting people to the game, in terms of having a big turnout for, for KU fans. Like those would probably be most desirable. Selfishly, Phoenix. I think that'd be pretty cool, right? I've never been to Phoenix. That'd be that'd be fun. That'd be cool. Uh, and then the Liberty Bowl in Memphis. I've never been to Memphis either, but I just don't want to have to deal with people in Memphis being like, "Oh, Memphis barbecue is better than <laughs> better than Kansas City barbecue." Like, no, I don't want to deal with that. 
Yeah, that would be the uh, like that would like right. That would be the thing. It'd be like if you're if you're wearing KU gear, I guarantee you, if KU's in Memphis, it's gonna be everyone who's in Memphis is gonna be like, well, have you tried Memphis barbecue yet? Have you tried yourself some Memphis dry rub? No, I don't care. Well, that would be something that KU and Missouri fans could unite on if they're out there together, right? <laughs> So there's there's a conversation you can have if you're you're with a Missouri fan in the Liberty Bowl and you're like, Oh gosh, I'm stuck in an elevator <laughs> with this guy. What stupid. do I talk about? Be like, Can you believe this barbecue here? There you go. Um but yeah, I, I think for personal reasons, I want them to be in the Armed Forces Bowl, which is on uh December twenty second in Fort Worth. I'm gonna be down in Texas for Christmas with my parents anyway. So I would actually love because then I could just hey, I'll just go out like a day or two early yeah. and you know, go to the bowl game. That would work out best for me. Not that they actually care about that. The in terms of KU, they should then, care. Like, they should. They should. Because um, we're the, we're the committee. We should just make ourselves the committee of everything. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like this isn't just me having the conversation about. Because I know, as you've said, you don't want to play Missouri in a bowl game. This isn't me just echoing that. I just legitimately think going to Memphis would be the worst in terms of the travel and who's there. I think. I think. Yeah. Uh, and from fan turnout, it would be, too. Yeah. I, I think you could argue the first responder bowl would maybe be the best. That's Dallas? Yeah, that's the one in okay, Dallas. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I really that. do think the Armed Forces Bowl would be a good one in Fort Worth. Yeah, no, I think that'd be a good one, too. I, mm-hmm. Like I like I said, I think definitely the first responder bowl in Dallas would be the best in terms of KU fan turnout, for sure. I wish if the one in Phoenix was still the Cheez-It Bowl. Yeah, that is tough. You know, that is stuff. Did well, you see now the, the Cheez It Bowls in Orlando? Did you see Cheez It did this thing where they're going to randomly make one of yes. their hotel rooms for the players super Love cheesy Cheez Its? Mm-hmm. And it's like, imagine all you just open and, your hotel room door and it's just Cheez Its. Great. That's going to be where all the players like hang out with each other <laughs> and, you know, before the game. Uh, this one from Jayhawk for Life 35 on Twitter. Don't think that's their real name. Jalen Wilson needs be. to be an All-American type player for KU to have a successful season, but will his usage hurt the development of the younger guys long-term this season? This is an interesting question. I, I'm i hard-pressed to say yes. I, I feel like it probably is would be pretty... I'm trying to think of the right word here. Pretty, uh, like... What's the word? I'm trying to think of it. Like, like it, it, it minimal impact is what I'm looking okay. for. Like, I think yeah. it would be a fairly minimal impact. And I think also it would be... Like in hindsight, it would be difficult to go back and say, "Oh, Jalen Wilson's usage really negatively affected these other the de- de- develop." Like there are so many other factors, basically, is what I'm trying to get to that I think would could cause a player to to struggle or whatever have problems developing. Right? Like I don't think you could just definitively say Jalen Wilson scoring 25 points a game overall hurt the team, like hurt the younger players. Like I don't I don't think you could really make a statement like that. Uh, regardless, even if you were to look back in hindsight after this season. And if you think about it, like, we know he's not going to hurt Grady Dick, right? And because of the kind of the position that he plays, you would you would assume that his him playing well is not going to negatively affect, you know, like the development of Ernest Uday or Zubi Ejiofor, right? So, like, then you're left with, I guess you could maybe try to make the argument that, you know, MJ Rice can't get on the floor as much because Jalen Wilson is going off but also like that just means that Jalen Wilson's being great which I, I guess I'm not really sure you could spin that negatively yeah I I'm not worried about it to be clear uh, so Ken Palm has a number you can use it's uh possession percentage which is the possession or the percentage of possessions that end with this guy so that could be a shot that could be a turnover whatever it is Jalen Wilson's uh 
possession percentage is 31.7%. That is a very high number. That's 22nd in the country. But I don't think that's as much of a, a thing of, hey, he's just shooting. It's it's almost like he has to. Like, oh, he yeah, doesn't have a ton we, of other yeah, players. We, we've talked about it, right? Like, I mean, how many times do I have to say it? When you're mm-hmm. rolling out your other four guys and none of them are assertive scores, it's Jalen Wilson by default. Yes. And I don't understand why people are trying to make that into some sort of negative about Jalen Wilson of what he's trying to do. It's like, no, if, if those are if that's who you have on the floor, then Jalen Wilson is your guy, yeah. period. Now, the question here is, does this affect, and, and I think where the sentiment of this question comes from is basically, do some of the young guys need more touches? Do they need more opportunities to try to improve on their game? But here's what I would say. While those numbers are large for Jalen Wilson, this would not be the first time that Kansas has had a player with high usage or if it has been a duo of players. Thomas Robinson had a usage percentage or possession percentage of 29.7%. And then on that same team, Tyshawn Taylor had a 27.7. So those two guys combined for about 58% of the possessions. You go back to 2011 and Marcus Morris and Markeith Morris had a 26 and a 25%. So again, like over 50% yeah, in and, that situation. And also I would say, when when has Bill Self ever catered to younger players? No, you know it's I mean? like you, know I mean? you got to earn it first. Yes. 2018, Devontae Graham possession percentage 25.2. How about we go back to 2017, Frank Mason 25.7, Josh Jackson 27.5. 2020, Devon Dotson a 26.4, Yudoka Azabuke a 23.7. So those guys combined about 50%. My point is that even if it hasn't always been one guy who's up around 30, there have usually been at least one guy around 25 or 26. And when you look at the top two guys, they actually take up usually more than what the top two guys with Jalen and somebody else are taking this year. So my point is there's enough to go around. And even with Jalen taking this many shots, there actually are less basically possessions that are going into KU's top two guys this year then KU's top two guys in a lot of other other seasons that I mentioned, there's plenty of opportunity for the freshmen, and it's more about they need to show it before they're and, just awarded. You know, it. I think that's how Bill Self has always been with his young players, mm-hmm. right? So, so I, I think the question maybe could be less focused on Jalen Wilson and more on Bill Self and how he wants to utilize his players and are they doing enough in practice or whatever to get those opportunities. Yes. This one from John Murphy. Could you share what the total number of KU football recruits will be for the next class and any thoughts on the mix of freshmen, Portal, and JUCO? Um, so I would just say this. They do not make it public who has what amount of scholarships. So I can't totally tell you. And I, will, KU I, will, is, I will say this. I think with the signing, with Lance Leipold's new contract and some of the wording of it involving NIL and whatnot, like obviously the Portal is going to be a pretty significant factor, I would assume for KU this offseason, and I think rightly so, right? Like, I think the era of college football that we're in, if the portal is not at least some aspect of your recruiting, you're probably not doing it right yes. at this point, right? So so I think, and especially, like I said, with the with the wording of Lance Leipold's contract with, with KU wanting to get more aggressive with NIL and, and whatnot, like the portal is definitely going to be a factor in, in terms of recruiting and and you know the rest of it, I think, is probably going to come into shape. And and maybe there might be some KU fans out there that hear the word portal or that hear the transfer portal and, and maybe have flashbacks to David Beatty or whatever of going out and getting a bunch of JUCO guys. I don't think that's going to be the case with this. I think I think we're kind of beyond that now. And I, I don't think you need to be concerned about bringing in transfers and what their impact on the team because 
as we saw this season for KU, the transfers, when you look at the defensive side, Craig Young had a big impact. Kalen Gervin had a big impact. Marvin Grant was a, a run-stopping box safety, right? And Eric Gilliard ended up deciding to leave the program, but still, your, your, your transfers were a factor on the defensive side this season. Well, the big thing that they did is all the transfers they brought in are multiple-year guys, and that's important. That's the most important part, I think, of all of this. In terms of what I think about their their future mix, like for this year and last year, for instance, you brought in, I think it was like 10, 12 freshman guys, and then the rest were portal. I think that'll probably be similar this year because the idea is it's hard to recruit locally and get the best kids in state with them all knowing that you've been the worst program all their life growing up watching between you and Kansas State. So now, if you use some of these quicker fixes or guys who are more ready for college but still have a few more years, like your Craig Youngs and Lonnie Phelps and whatnot, you get into a situation where you become better and, hey, you made a bowl game this year and now you have good publicity on your side, you have people watching you, and you have local in-state kids going, you know, something cool is going on there, I want to go there. So you almost have a better opportunity to get local kids and future high school recruits by hitting the portal hard now just so that you can raise the floor as a program. So I think right now you're going to see a continued like that where it's only going to be 10, 12 kids at a freshman. The rest are, are portal kids. Uh, but keep this in mind. In terms of the numbers, they have that that scholarship rule where they, they passed it for a, a short-term thing that you're going to be allowed to fill up to 85 total scholarship players whether you go over the limit of having 25 total in your class this year or not, which means you're going to be taking on a lot of portal guys this year, and that allows you even more. So I wish I could tell you that, hey, I know Kansas has 73 scholarship players. It's not like basketball where we can easily count the 13 and that they have 12 more spots to fill. We just don't know. But know that they can bring in a lot this year because of that rule. This one from Midwest Sports. Who will be the first leading scorer in a game for KU not named Grady Dick or Jalen Wilson? Yeah, I think the answer here is probably MJ Rice. Could be Joe Yesville, I guess, if he goes off. Rice was real close last game. Exactly, yeah. He, he was real close. So I, I think that's probably got to be your answer. I mean, I would love to go on the more opportunistic side and say, you know, maybe an Ernest Uday just goes off, right? He gets a bunch of dunks and whatever one game. But we just haven't – I don't think we've seen enough from him to really make it a statement that assertive, right, or that bold. He just hasn't really quite done enough in terms of – developing his offensive game I think for you to for you to make a statement like that and and you know Kevin McCuller is averaging 10 points a game maybe he has a game where he hits four or five threes and that puts him in contention and but yeah I think it's got to be probably one of those three guys right Kevin McCuller was going to be my answer I I think he had like what 18 against Wisconsin I mean he wasn't that far away but Jalen just went off for 29 I think there's going to be another 18 20 22 point game in there for Kevin McCuller this season I think MJ Rice would be a good one those would be the the obvious ones. Who knows? Maybe Dewan Harris could have a game where we've seen him score 14 a few games. What if he has a game where he has 17 and they yeah. hold Jalen to 15, 16 points and Grady has 14? Like, that's not out of the realm of possibility either. But it is okay. certainly weird that we're through eight games and it's only been one of those two guys. <laughs> I don't know how how different that is from past season. Certainly felt like last year is like, I guess it was probably Ochai most games. So maybe that's not that unique. Uh, this one from Josh. What is the best flavor of frozen yogurt? This is interesting. I you like frozen yogurt. I'm not with. really a huge frozen yogurt Ice guy. cream definitely better than frozen yogurt, but I, I like frozen yogurt. Well, I mean, there are, you know, there's for, for people locally, it's not in Lawrence, I guess, but in, in southern Kansas and Oklahoma, Brahms. Brahms has great frozen yogurt. 
You can they get have the frozen swirl. yogurt? Yeah, you can get the swirl cone. I didn't even know they had frozen yogurt. You can get yogurt. chocolate and, and vanilla. No, you can, get, you can get chocolate and vanilla. Listen, my first job was at Brahms, okay? <laughs> Let me tell you about what Brahms has serve, to offer. Okay. No, they have, yeah, you can get it in the swirl. Or, wait, what's the difference between soft serve? Soft serve is not frozen yogurt. It's not? No. Oh. So, soft well, then I guess I'm just wrong. It's just like the ice cream. Yeah, the swirl. Frozen yogurt is different. It's like literally frozen yogurt okay, ice cream well, then, type no, thing. Okay, well, no, I don't. Yeah, I don't. They have different flavors. I don't know. I'm uh, a uh, cookies and cream. Always good. I, I got to have the peanut butter. If they have peanut butter cup, like that's always a good one. Frozen yogurt? Yeah. Oh. Kansas uh-huh. fan, 1987. Uh-huh. I guess I'm just wrong. wrong. I wonder if this person became a Kansas fan in 1987, which would have been a good year to start because they, they won, won the, the title. title. <laughs> 1988. Yep. Uh, will recruiting get better now that Lance is committed to Kansas long term? Yeah, I think the answer here has got to be unequivocally yes. Like, I, I mean... I don't know, though, because think about this. Like, maybe 10, 15 years ago, the idea of for a recruit and, like, maybe his family or his parents, like, of going to a coach who maybe they think is not going to be there for the entirety of their kid's career. I don't know how much that matters as much now because now you've got the transfer portal, you've got NIL, you've got a lot of movement. So maybe the idea of having a long contract signed doesn't have as much influence on recruiting now as it did 10, 15 years ago. I don't know. What, I don't know. I just thought about I, that. What do you think of that? I don't think his contract changes any. Like I don't think because it's it's basically like a but two you know or three year extension. Like, like there was definitely a yes, time in recruiting where now. a kid and his family were like, "Oh well, coach, are you going to be here my whole yeah. career?" Like that doesn't feel like that matters as much. Yeah, I don't think it has an impact there. The one way it could is part of the contract. Obviously, there was the clause about uh, good faith, nil, offerings, donations, whatever it is that could help with recruiting. But I think more than anything, like, I I don't really the, – this staff is not going to be one where it's like, hey, they're hauling in top 40 classes. If that's your expectation, if that's what you think needs to happen, I'm sorry. That's not going to happen. The way no, the they, staff they definitely does it, seem like they're after it's a more, developmental you know, staff and hard-nosed, yes. you know, guys like that fits, that are going to – It's developmental. Exactly. So yeah. don't just expect it, – it's more just about them scouting and choosing the right guys and developing them. So I don't really care if Kansas – Which that's obviously important too. It is, but like if this is the difference between Kansas having the 60th best class in the country and the 68th, I don't really care, to be completely honest. Just get the right guys. Um, okay, yeah, that's right. But if you're talking about in-state recruiting, the local recruiting, going back to the the what we were talking about with the scholarship numbers, yeah, I do think it definitely helps. I, I think it's less about the contract, though, and I think it's more just about the success that they've been able to have. And I think ideally you'll have better in-state recruiting in a few years from now. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. That was our KU Mailbag. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. And uh, another update from the KU volleyball team. They took the first set 25-17. to 17. They uh, are currently up in set number two, four zero. Miami is the seeded team. KU was unseeded last year, made it to the uh, Sweet Sixteen. That sucks, Miami. And do you remember? Do you remember? Um, I think it was a Duke player, maybe a football player early in the year. He did the U symbol and then he broke it over yes. his knee. That's what I'm going to do. Football. I'm going to do that when they win. All right, post the TikTok of it <laughs> or something. I'm not on TikTok, Derek. I'll get one just for that. Okay. We'll uh, give you an update at the end of this segment how KU Volleyball is doing. Uh, we got to get to our KU defensive notebook, though. We did our offensive notebook yesterday. Defense, bad. Yeah, no, I mean. Now, they weren't helped not, by the special great, teams, right? Not great. Wasn't no. like the worst KU defense game yet. No, but actually, okay. 
if you just if, if you just get rid of the third and longs, like if they could have just got off the field on some of those third and longs, especially yeah. the Deuce Vaughn screen one, yeah. probably ends up as an okay game. No, 100% agree. The, the, the Deuce Vaughn 80-yard screen play when you had third and 12 at their own five, that was like probably one of the critical back-breaking plays of the game, right? And oh, I, one area that I will give credit to the KU defense is they don't stop fighting. I mean, they're usually pretty resilient for the most part. I guess maybe the Oklahoma game you could look at and say, you know, maybe they had some lapses, but they've been pretty resilient for the most part throughout the season, uh, which is something you can you can take as, as positively. And, and uh, yeah, the, the third and long situation, like, I think that's probably one of the things that defines a good defense versus a great defense is when you are in an opportunistic situation, you make the most of it, right? You get off the field. You get your stops. And when you can't do that as a defense, that that's a very worrying sign. And that's something that we've seen kind of throughout the season from the KU defense where they have struggled at times. But one thing that I wanted to bring up with the defense in this game was there were moments in the game where they stepped up. They got a three and out to start the game. A three and out to start the game. And the special teams spotted them, gave them gave gave K State a free seven points off of it, right? And then you look at we've talked about how, well, you know, if you're gonna be a defense that is a bend don't break defense that gives up a lot of yards. Like you need to be opportunistic. You need to be able to take advantage. Well, we have now seen not just in Kansas State, but in multiple other games throughout the season where there kind of has been that momentum changing moment where the defense has stepped up and has made a play, and they've been let down by the offense. It happened again in the K State game. They had this. They had the strip sack, and what happened? Nothing. The offense didn't do anything. Right. So it's it's really tough because. It, it, whose fault is that, right? Is it the defense's fault for still being not great, but then getting that opportunistic play, but then the offense can capitalize? Is the offense's fault for not taking advantage of that? Like, I don't know. It's hard to say, but right. But like, we've kind of highlighted that as being one of the things that this KU defense needs to be. They need to be opportunistic. They need to be able to take advantage of, of certain moments in the game because we know that they're probably going to give up a lot of yards, which they did. We know that they're probably going to struggle in certain areas, which they, they did. But if they make that one play, then it's all fine. Well, that's true if the offense then capitalizes on that one play that the defense made, which they didn't do against K-State and which they haven't done, right? Or if they don't if they don't fumble it away when KU does get that one stop on their defense, which they didn't do against K-State, right? So, I, I mean, I don't know what you really extrapolate from that. I guess, uh, you know, uh, bad timing? I don't, I don't know. I don't know, what, I don't, I don't know how else to look at that. I don't, and I also don't really know for some of those third and long struggles. Like, who do we who do we point blame to? Because th- this has been a consistent all season long. Does that just mean that you have bad coverage? Does it mean you don't have good enough pass rush? Does it mean that you're calling bad plays or that the scheme is something's wrong there? I don't know what the answer is. I kind of think it's more about the the personnel maybe than anything. Yeah, it, I mean when you. Hearing like, from Brian like, Boylan throughout the season, it definitely sounds like it's just a an execution thing yeah. a lot of times. Well, like think about the Deuce Vaughn screen, for instance. Was that was that a case where like Brian Borland got completely fooled over, or was it because Kansas missed a billion tackles? So yeah, yeah. it's just you kind of gotta do better, I guess. Is, <laughs> execution. Is the way yeah, execution. Now, if we look at this big picture, Kansas football The defense was significantly better. Better than last year. Yes. Yes. Which, on one hand, is great. On the other hand, it's when Still you not consider the numbers from last year, then you start to realize, okay, well, any any random 11 guys might have been able to be a little bit better. Is, that, is mean, that too harsh? Well, but when we look at the end of the day, 
And I guess we'll wait and see what happens in the bowl game because who knows, if you give up 45 in the bowl game, it's going to look a lot worse. At the end of the day, Kansas is going to pop up on these lists at the end of the season of it'll be like, here's here's the top 10 most improved defenses by points per game. They're going to be one of those teams. They gave up 40... I think 42. It was 42. Yeah, 42 points. Yeah, they gave 42.2 points per game last season. This season they're giving up 33.8. That's a nine point improvement. I mean, that 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 is yeah. I guess eight and a half. And we've had the discussion before. I don't know what it is now, but remember about halfway through the season, the average offense, college football offense, the 60th ranked offense or whatever, was averaging like 30 points a game. Yeah. So if you're giving up 33, you're only giving up three more than Average, I guess, if you want to look at it from that perspective. Yeah, there's a lot of teams kind of stacked in the middle. Now, it yeah. still is 118th of 131 teams. <laughs> last year was 129th of 130 teams, so it's not that much of improvement. Who, who was worse last year? That's a good you question. Um, I don't want to put you on the spot. No, it's okay. I'll, I'll try to find it. Um, but, yeah, I guess it's, it's kind of about how you view it. In certain ways, it wasn't good enough still, and... You would just hope that, you know, maybe if it was even better, then you do win a few extra games. But the fact of the matter is, we talked about this in the offseason. It's it's really hard. Like, typically the most you see a defense improve in one season to the next, I think the most I've ever seen is maybe like 14 points per game. I'm sure there's one bigger than that. But for the most part, the teams who end up having the biggest improvement, it's only like 10 or 11 points. I say only. That's still a good jump. So Kansas made a huge improvement. If they can make another huge improvement to next year, because keep in mind, like a lot of the teams at Buffalo had really good defenses under Brian Borland. So I'd expect another big jump next season. But yeah, for for this season, there still were times where it caused you a lot of frustration, and that's one of the big areas from this team. I will say, in the Kansas State game, here's a cause to be, uh, I guess, excited or, or feel like there was improvement. We mentioned all season long how they struggled against screen passes and, and on screens. Certainly the Deuce Vaughn screen was a problem, but I, uh, more so when we're talking about screen passes, we were talking about like receiver screens on the outside where they just quick throw to the outside and then the guy's off and running. They actually did a really solid job against yeah. that. Yeah, they did. They ran it several times at Kansas State. You could tell they were trying to run it a bunch because they noticed on film. Kansas struggled with that, but KU came to play in that regard. I think yeah. that's a good sign. That, yeah there are still things improving on this defense as the season goes on. Yeah, and I think part of that is just, you know, the the Kansas corners are a bit undersized, really. I mean, they're not the biggest guys in the world. When you look at Kobe Bryant or Melo Dotson, those guys, they're not they're not really big built corners as much as you might see it at somewhere else. So that kind of I think played into it. But you're right. They did a pretty good job in that specific game against Kansas State of of kind of slowing it down and and I don't I think Kansas State was maybe outthought themselves a little bit with Deuce Vaughn. Like, they kind of didn't really go to him early. <laughs> and then when they realized that they needed to go to him, he he kind of took over, right? And if you're Kansas, I, I don't think you should really hang your head by about Deuce Vaughn doing what he was able to do against you because that's kind of been what he's done all season, right? I mean, he's widely regarded as probably the second-best running back in the conference behind Bijan Robinson. So, you know, you figured he was going to get some of his. And, yeah, you would have liked to stop him on that big screen play, but... I mean, it is what it is. And, and you know, the other thing is, similar to the offense, I mean, you're not going to lose a whole lot, are you, from this defense, right? You're going to have a lot of guys coming back. I mean, Kenny Logan. I think that goes for the whole team. Yeah, Kenny Logan seems like he probably might not return. 
Uh, you're going to lose Sam Burt. That's probably going to be a big loss. Obviously, Eric Gilliard at this Eric point. Eric Gilliard. Uh, Eddie Wilson, I think you'll lose as well off the D-line. I think you'll lose some guys off the D-line, uh, which is kind of a bummer. And I mean, Sam Burt's been a, a stalwart locker room presence also, but Kobe Bryant is young. Rich yeah, I mean, Miller you could hypothetically, you could have Lonnie Phelps back, yep. um, Caleb Taylor back. DJ Weathers and Tommy Dunn, they haven't got a ton of playing time, but we've seen those, those flashes. I actually like both those guys, yeah. what they could provide. And and those, are guys, for... those are guys that were willing to talk up quite a bit mm-hmm. early in the season, and they still never really got on the field. Yeah. So you wonder if that was just the, your guys up front were playing well, and those guys are also developing, but that's interesting as well. Jeremy Robinson could be back. Like you said, Craig Young could be back. I think Rich Miller could use a COVID year to have a, an extra senior year. Taiwan Berryhill could be back. Uh, Kobe Bryant could be an upperclassman. Same for Melo Dotson. O.J. Burroughs, you'd have all those guys as juniors. Kalen Gervin can have another year. Marvin Grant can have another year. Um, Kenny Logan, like you said, we don't totally know. So yeah, they could have really a, sure. a majority of those guys back. And then I would imagine, like, I, I feel like they're going to hit the transfer portal harder on the defense side than the offense side. Like offense, you could see them, what, bringing in, like, a good receiver or a – yeah. I don't know if you lose running backs then in the transfer portal, then maybe you bring one back the other way or something, or maybe an offensive lineman. But it's not like they have a ton of needs on no. offense. I mean, yeah, defensively I, I say, you could bring in some key players. Obviously, if it's a if it's an impact player or a really good player, you you say yes no matter what the position. You figure out the rest later. But yeah, no, I I agree with that. So I I mean, when you look at the outlook for the defense next year, I think it could be even a lot better from what this one was, and and I think that's certainly exciting. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and, and I want to see you, you want to see like the bowl game is always a good opportunity. Something we talked about with Kevin Flaherty to kind of like showcase yourself, and that if the defense plays well in the bowl game, and then you head into the off season off that, yeah, it'll feel pretty good. It'll feel really good. Feel yeah. like you build a lot of momentum for sure. And now you have time to to kind of work on some of that stuff. And you know maybe the grind of the season, maybe that's part of why Kansas struggled a bit more tackling as the season went on. Just the physicality side of it, being injured a little bit more. Now you get some time off to get fresh, and maybe you can see a better uh, job in that regard. All right, uh, one last update from the volleyball thing. Uh, Kansas le- uh, leading 17-8 to eight in the second set, leading one set to none against Miami. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it.